Warning, this episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Guru's Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guests for this episode are Lexi Signor and Jay Webb. Lexi is a versatile trumpet player and a passionate educator with a personality as big as her sound. And by the way, she composed and performed the music you're listening to right now. Jay is an all-around beast on the horn and a man with a musical mission to document the works as well as the wardrobe of one of the greatest players in modern history. What happens when you put the two of them together is pure magic. So pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. All right, welcome to the Trumpet Guru's Hang, and I am your host, Jose Johnson, and I am here with uh, a power couple. Oh, oh, power couple. We've hashtagged that the a lot. The word is out. Uh, well, the word is out. Well, you know, you, you, you heard of uh, a Jay-Z and Beyonce, right? Beyonce, that's Bonanza. like Beyonce, but with yeah, more yellow yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. dresses and so You got and, yeah, Jay-Z and, and Beyonce in, the, in the, <laughs> the R&B world, in the trumpet world, we have... Jay and Lexi. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Oh boy, look out. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> it don't get much better than this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's just, let's just get into this. I mean, we, we've got, Jay's got his, his tea. I've got my tea. He's peach got tea. His peach tea. Because he's my DD. He's, he's his DD. Mm. Yeah. That double D? Uh, not, not recently, been working out. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> least for two days. <laughs> hey, hey, longer than you. Yeah. That's true. And, longer than you. And uh, Lexi has got her fat cat Pinot, and yeah, I'm joining her. Because, look, you know, if you're a trumpet player and you've been to a hang, you can't have a hang with some sort of refreshment. Yeah. Know? Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, so... That's how we met. Yeah, exactly. Years ago. Exactly. Which ITG was it? Was it the one in Philly or was it the one in Michigan? Like, I know it was a while no, ago, it was, but it was a, like... Yeah, it was ITG in Philly. Philly. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good... Oh, my gosh, that was a great That hang. was four years ago I met ago Paul already? Tynan on that hang. That was where I met Paul, and I met you. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. met you over four years ago. It was way over yeah, four years ago. Yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. five so or six. It was, yeah, it was the one at King of Prussia. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good time. It was yeah. a great I time. I spent way too much time hanging out with Wayne Bergeron yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and Mike Chickowitz. Yeah. And, uh, yep. yeah, actually, the, I, at that time, I had an uh, Acura CL, which is a little two-door, uh-huh. right? And we were going out to dinner. So it was me, Wayne, his wife, Barb, mm-hmm. Chickowitz, who is not a tiny guy, no. and Jeff Houghton uh, from uh, Yamaha, Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there was one other person that was in the car, and I can't remember who it was. But, you know, I have a five, you know, basically it's a five-seater, and we had six full-grown adults <laughs> in my car. And Wayne's not small. And Wayne he's is not small. Yeah, he's, he's a tall dude. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was interesting to, to try and figure out who was going to ride the stick shift. <laughs> <laughs> Trumpet clown car. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So let, let, let's, uh, let's get serious for a moment. Um, <laughs> that's it. It's just going to be a moment. Just one moment. Oh, we're, we're done. We're done. We're done. Okay. So, doink. Yeah. <laughs> Check that one off. Uh, so, Lexi, um, you know, we, we had discussed uh, having you on 
on this and uh, to talk about a lot of different things. But uh, and you, you brought Jay along, and I'm so happy about this because I've never met Jay before today. This is uh, this that is true. Going to be a lot of fun. So this is going to be an authentic hang. It is yeah. such a hang. <laughs> it is oh, such yeah. a hang. It already feels that way. Yeah, but you know, like you said, you and I have, have gone back a few years. But why don't you just share with our listeners a little bit of your backstory? So. How far, how far back we go? You know, yeah, just the Reader's <laughs> Digest version, you know. Because if you want to learn more, you know, obviously careful, you can go to our you website. Right, and, you know, right. blah, 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 this blah, blah. This could be the whole podcast right <laughs> here. Yeah, right. It really could. Which it is really fine. Could. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in northern Michigan. And um, like most people in middle school, they get to pick an instrument. And uh, my band director, I really wanted to be a drummer. This, this is where this is funny. I went in and I was like super gung-ho, came in with like all my rudiments and I was just like, look, I can do drum things, huh? And he's like, yeah, but check this out. And he would go over to the piano, he could play something and I could play it back to him. And he's like, okay, now sing it. And I could sing it back to him. And he's like, are you sure you want to play drums? I'm like, yes, I want to be a percussionist. And he's like, okay, but I've got like 15 adolescent boys who want to be percussionists and you're way smarter than that. So you should pick a different instrument. So. I, uh, I, I basically just sort of boiled it down to, okay, what is the smallest instrument with the least amount of buttons that won't hurt too much if I get beat up with it in the room? How to trumpet, why not? And he just happened to be a trumpet player. So he, you know, he gave me lessons like for free in the summers and stuff. And you know, when I, when I started playing trumpet, it never dawned on me that what I was doing was strange or odd or out of place at all. He just said, oh, you're playing trumpet. Well, here, let me teach you how to play trumpet. And it was never really spoken of that I happened to be a woman who's playing trumpet. So he just, you know, would perpetually just put harder and harder stuff in front of me as teachers ought to. And uh, he never framed it in terms of, oh, this is hard, you should do this. Oh, this is hard, you should do this. He's just like, oh, you like that? Here, try this. Oh, you like that? Try this. And it was, you know, sequentially harder stuff. And before he knew it, I was like playing in high school solo ensemble as a seventh grader. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like I was subbing in brass quintets on French horn as an eighth grader because I could hear it. And right. he was just like, yeah, uh, this horn player called in sick and they kind of need a sub. Um, don't tell MSBOA District 2 that that happened, but it did. Um, anyway, I I Is there excelled. statute of limitations on that? Well, sort of, kind of. I don't know. I don't know if there actually is, but um, anyway. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> he was a former president of District 2. Um, anyway, so I, I was sort of thrown in head first into this musical world and was just naturally really good at it. And it didn't dawn on me that what I was doing was strange or different or odd. And so I just kept on with that mentality through high school, through college. And I had noticed, like, in... I guess in high school honors bands, I would get vibed a little bit by the guys in the, the band. You know, it was like a 13, 16 person trumpet section and I was at the top of it and they would give me crap. And I was just, I just thought they were giving me crap to give me crap because I was the first chair, right. not because I was a girl. And it, I mean, it didn't take until I was in college for it to really dawn on me that, oh, wait a minute, I'm playing high notes and I'm the only girl playing high notes. Oh, I guess this is weird. And then I sort of became aware of what this vibe was right. and where it was coming from, and I got really mad. Uh -huh. And if anybody's ever known me for five seconds, you just don't want to make me mad because, like, don't it turns green. I know, right? <laughs> don't tell me not to not to walk on your lawn because I'm gonna go break dance on your lawn. You know, like <laughs> that's how I operate. And so I was like, oh, oh, you think it's like not cool or not right that I'm a girl and I play better than you? Watch me. <laughs> and then I just went I went so hard like I practiced 
I mean, I, I've always been a good practicer, but like when I figured out that that was the vibe, right. I went harder than I ever went. Yeah. Like I practiced like all like memorized Clarks, memorized Arbins, all the different variations in the back of the Arbins. I was just like, kill, 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 die, die, die. Yeah. Just so I could make sure that no dude could ever vibe me about my playing. You want to vibe me about who I am or what I do? That's on you, man. But right. you're not going to vibe me about my playing. Right. And uh, so, you know, that, that sort of, you know, bled into my professional career. Just like, I want to be as good or the best or the best I can be at what I do. Both because I feel personally that I should be able to do that. And also, as a woman, I have to now. Now mm -hmm. that I'm a professional in this field, I'm not allowed to mess up. I'm not allowed to be subpar. I'm not allowed to be mediocre. Like, now that I've taken a stand and been like, I'm a woman who does this job and look at me and I can do it, I can't do anything less than that. Not that I'd be inclined to, but we as women are held to a much higher standard. My dress has to be much dressier than everybody else. I have to look the part. I have to play the part. I have to be 90 million times more than what a man might have to do or be in my same position just so that no one bothers me about it. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's where we are now. It's just like I've gotten used to that being the standard and I just sort of yeah. function within that framework. Right. <laughs> framework. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of funny that when you when you're talking about how you got started, because uh, when I got to choose my instrument, I wanted to play drums too. Huh? Yay! So I was like, I want to play drums. My dad asked me, "Okay, you're gonna play a musical instrument." My dad was a uh, he used to be a professional musician. He was a, a, a vocalist and arranger and things like that. Um, and you know, he used to, he he was one of the uh, first uh, black artists to uh, do concert hall. I travel travel around doing concert hall and like the first. First uh, part of his gig was uh, light classical, so arias and things like that. And the second half was uh, spirituals. Mm. This is back in the twenties, twenties, thirties, right? Forties, right? I guess. He's probably born in. So, but anyway, uh, during that period, you know, uh, so he, yeah, perfect pitch, you know, just annoying person. Uh, but anyway, so when, <laughs> when I wanted to play an instrument, you know, uh, I said drums. He's like, no, you're going to want to play a real instrument. <laughs> and, uh, Sorry, and then, uh, yeah, no offense. Yeah, well, well uh, no, drummers, <laughs> the truth sucks. Uh, anyway, so, you know, I, I was going through the whole thing, and I went through the exact same process, and it was like, okay, well, trombone, that, that looks kind of cool, but how the hell do you figure out where those notes are? Right? And yeah. sax has got way too many keys on it, so I said, trumpet, how hard can that be? There's three little buttons, I got this thing. Bingo! Uh, not knowing that I, you know, I'm picking, pro you know, what is the most physically demanding Absolutely. of yeah. all the instruments. So, One of the highest learning curves. And you know, oh, what, yeah. you know what's funny about this whole thing is that what did I play? You play drums. I, went, I play drums. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> all right, so Jay, let's get over you. Yeah, yeah. this is a great so, story. So it's so much I, more I, Americana. One of the, one of the first mine. instruments I, I learned how to play was, well, of course, trumpet, but um, real quick, my great-grandfather was from Hungary, came over to the States in, I want to say, early 1900s. Uh, and he was commissioned by zinc mines in North Jersey to start brass bands and community bands. So uh, his, the first band that he started was in Perth Amboy, New Jersey. Amboy, Amboy, Amboy. Amboy. And, uh, <laughs> and then later moved up to North Jersey, Sussex County, where I have a lot of family. My parents still live there. Started these brass bands. Um, and then those sort of turned into spin-off bands in that area. 
and there's a band called the Franklin Community Band, which is still around today. They're coming up on their 150th anniversary yeah. this, wow. this year. Well, oddly enough, my, that was my great-grandfather on my mother's side. On my, my dad was also a trumpet player. So my great-grandfather was a trumpet player on my mom's side, then my dad was a trumpet player who then ended up running one of those bands that my great-grandfather started for 45 years. Wow. So I grew up in community bands and, right. and did parades, firemen convention parades, sometimes 20, 25 a year during the summer. And so I remember when I was a little kid, um, I mean, I started playing trumpet when I was three because they, they were just around. Right. It was around the house. My uncle was a drummer. And so when I was old enough to parade and, and as my dad put it, well, when you're, when you're old enough to, uh, to get out on the street, you know, <laughs> that's what was always on the street. Right. That's what was, you know, and, and so I started off playing drums because he said, you're not old enough to play trumpet on the street. Like, you, you know, you can't handle that yet. Okay, fine. So I learned to play drums. And the way that I learned it by, was by standing next to my uncle and I would memorize all the drum parts to 16 marches that were in their march book by ear. Wow. I had no formal training of how to play snare drum, no idea what I was doing, but I could, I could play right. the sounds and figure it out. Uh, it was very heavy right, right-handed. Yeah. My left hand was terrible, but I could fake my way through it. Um, and then eventually my dad's like, I think it was probably by the time I was in fifth grade, I think he finally said, all right, you can give the trumpet a try. You know, and, and, and so then, so I was always around musicians, brass bands. So the trumpet was just something that it, I, I, it was, I guess it probably chose me more than I chose it. And, and going back a little bit is my dad would be in the basement practicing Sousa marches and marches for, for hours every night. He'd come home from work, go in the basement, practice. And I would sneak down there and sit next to him and just kind of look up at him and go, can you, can you can you show me those fingerings? Like, can I, I want to learn how to play that. And eventually, he looked down and he's like, "All right, fine." And he would mark in all the notations, the fingerings for the notes. And then I started sort of playing that way. But yeah, I mean, I was just around it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's funny how you know, it, regardless of what it is you do, and obviously in, in the context of what we're talking about, you know, trumpet playing uh, or music in general, that our influences you know, as we're growing up. Uh, I think a lot of times people don't realize how important that is. You know, we were all lucky enough to have these influences that we were then able to leverage later in life yeah. into something that was creative and something that was positive for us. And so many people, uh, you know, really aren't thinking about the influences that they're they're providing for their children as they're growing up. Mm -hmm. And you know, I just I'm I'm very thankful. I mean that I was in a household where I remember my dad sitting there, he's working on a cantata, and uh, watching him uh, arrange, and of course, like I said, having perfect pitch, he didn't have to use the piano, mm. uh, but every once in a while he would go over to the piano and he'd work on a voicing, and I learned how to do that just simply by being around it, because I had no formal like theory training, right? Uh, and I started you know, writing horn arrangements you know, when I was like, in high school you know, for like, you know, a little band I'm playing with, and it just became, it was just so natural. You know, and it was just because I saw the process, right? And I wasn't thinking like you were saying about you know difficulties or things like that. Yeah. I didn't think it's just like, oh yeah, well that's what you do, that's what you right? Do. Yeah, 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 totally. And I, and I think that's probably a big thing for so many people. And I know Lexi as, as an educator, 
I'm sure you have to deal with that a lot where people have this idea beaten to their head that stuff is hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what's, what's weird for me is I, re- I learned to read music before I learned to read written English. And so I sort of think of English as my second language and music as my first language. And so as an educator, when someone is looking at sheet music and not understanding what's there, it actually takes me a little extra time to go, okay, if I was in their position, why would this be hard for me? Like, why would this be challenging for me? And, you know, there, there are a lot of, like, preconceived notions about music, like, given to us by, you know, all different sources. But a lot of people think that if you're playing serious classical music that it must be very hard. Well, Twinkle Twinkle isn't that hard, but Mozart wrote it, you know? <laughs> like, you know, and, and, and once you get around those preconceived notions... Um, it's a lot easier to navigate and to learn and to grow. So the way I teach, I actually sort of just teach from a uh, here it is sort of mentality. Like, okay, you want to do this thing in this genre. Well, here's this thing in this genre. How's that fit you? And eventually that student will, you know, listen to it and come to learn it or whatever. And it doesn't matter that it's giant steps. They just really like jazz. (laughs) So they go learn it and they're like, wow, this is really cool. And then you sit down at the piano and then you play giant steps and they go, wow, there's so much more to it than that. I'm like, yeah, so you're sort of learning it from the top down. It's like an iceberg. You see the little bitty on the top, and then you get into the ocean, then realize that Giant Steps is actually very entailed. It's not hard, though. Nothing is really actually hard. Nothing is actually really difficult. If you break it down into small enough chunks, everything can be you know, sort of absorbed over time. Some things might take you more time than others, but if you present it like, oh, this is really hard, this is the hardest tune that we have to learn to play bebop, well, then the student's going to be like, oh, it's so hard, I can't do it, there's no way. But if you just go, hey, here's four bars of a melody, can you figure that out? Yeah, sure, here's another four bars of that same melody, how do they relate to one another? Oh, well, this does this, and this does that, and it's a minor third away. Yeah, good job! So how about this four bars? And you just add on and add on. If you approach music from that perspective, rather than sort of this highfalutin up on a pedestal, like, oh, well, this is high art, and this is what we do, and this is why it's so very difficult, and this is why we're so very awesome. If you come at it that way, the student's just going to go be intimidated yeah. and not want to learn and not and be afraid of it, you know, and more importantly, afraid of making mistakes. Um, But if you come to it as like a, oh, hey, look at that pretty flower over there. You're not really thinking of, you know, how that flower grew cell by cell. It's just a pretty flower. Right. Have you ever read the book, uh, The Music Lesson by Victor Wooten? Mm -mm. Oh, man, you got to check this book out. Most of, you know who Vic is? Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I didn't know he wrote a book. Yeah, for those of you who don't know who Victor Wooten is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, he's an amazing musician, even though he only plays, plays bass. Uh, oh, <laughs> doink! Uh, but no, no. But Vic's book. I actually I used this when when I was running my martial arts school. I made all of my coaching staff read this book oh, because wow. it's all about the learning process, and it's it's that fundamental thing of you know, hey, if you say it's hard, it's going to be hard. Oh, absolutely. And like learning a language because he relates it to like learning language. It's like you know, kids when they're learning a language, you know, they're basically jamming yeah. with masters. Totally. Yeah. You know, they're making they're making shit up as they go. Yep. They make all kinds of mistakes, and no one goes, "Oh, you didn't enunciate mother correctly." Right. You said, "Mmm." You know, but yeah. You know, In they, fact, they, they go the other direction. They're like, yeah. "Oh, it's so cute." Yeah. You said, "Mmm." 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And can you imagine what would happen if we were improvising and people went, oh, you played a major third on a minor triad. <laughs> yeah. You'll get it next time. Yeah, that and was And be encouraging exactly. rather than being a jerk. Right. And, and oh that, my gosh. Yeah, and that, that to me was just like, Boom, yeah. you know, and and it really made sense, and it really affected me profoundly, and that's kind of a yeah, it's something I sort of did, but then I became more conscious of it, and I, I really try to be conscious, and no matter what I'm doing with helping anybody, whether it's through music or martial arts or personal development or any other kind of stuff that I do, it's always no, that this is really simple, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really really simple. Uh, it's going to be difficult just to get used to it because it's, it's, it's just different for you. Mm -hmm. And once you keep going, it's, it's like you know, anything well, else. Reinforcing the, the notion that different isn't bad. I feel like in America, we're sort of conditioned from a young age to think that different is bad. You know, in kindergarten, if you're not in line, you're wrong. You know, if you're not doing as others are doing, you're wrong. Right. But that's not always the case, and it's increasingly less the case as you get older. And I think as you're learning an art, um, being different is is not so much frowned upon. If you're different, that's actually a good thing in some cases. Sometimes you can be different and wrong, like playing a major third over a minor triad. But <laughs> it depends on the context. Yeah, exactly. You know, like how do you resolve that third? Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, like I think especially teaching in a place that is largely sort of sectioned off from things that are very happening in the music industry. Um, I fight a lot of, you know, oh, it's different. Oh, it must be bad. Um, and in fact, like coming into a, a culture that is primarily focused on like classical or legit music with not a lot of jazz influence, like the fact that I run a jazz ensemble and that I'm a woman is has scared the crap out of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> like to put it lightly, it yeah. really has made some people uncomfortable. But the result of that uncomfortable feeling is that people are coming to my concerts in droves. Uh -huh. My last jazz concert was one of the most like widely attended concerts of the entire semester. I watched it, it online. It was cool. Um, <laughs> but we nearly filled yeah. University Hall, and I had been to several concerts before then that had decent turnout in much bigger halls. I mean, maybe it was comparable, but you know, the point was like we were very near to filling that hall and we had people like shouting and dancing and, and really enjoying themselves because it was different and right. that's you know when different can be embraced and different can be good yeah well yeah it's it's so funny because we i think societally we have this thing like we want to we want to root for the underdog until the underdog is us yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you gotta kind of like square yourself with, yeah. the, with the big goliath and go okay yeah. what kind of what kind of underdog am i am i a little puppy that's gonna go like hide yeah. under the, the chair or am i a fighting dog am i yeah. gonna like sit here and fight this fight yeah, yeah. And, and yeah so it, it's uh well we, we want to reach for the underdog until the underdog becomes the goliath yeah right exactly. you know it's like you know starbucks you know everybody oh, cheer for starbucks yeah. until starbucks became you know this yeah. this monolith yeah. and, you know, like uh, chris Bodie. Yeah, I, that's one of my favorite ones because hey, Chris is a monster. He's oh, nasty. My God. He's, He's so good. Yeah. We love you, Chris. Yeah, yeah and, that, and, he, he can play the trumpet, man. He plays yeah, the trumpet. I mean, he it, plays great. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy, he, he's, he's the real deal. Yeah. But people don't want to accept that because all they see is the commercial success that he's had. Well, exactly. and some other trumpet yeah. players who are numerous and shall remain nameless are of the opinion that, well, he's not really a trumpet player because he just plays smooth jazz. Um, excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. That guy can play everything. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, his, his, great. his live shows, uh, I mean, it's like, okay. Uh, and, and I got a chance to talk to him. Um, and it was a funny story because uh, a guy that I was studying trumpet with for a while, um, 
was Chris's first teacher. Okay. And uh, Chris was coming into town, and, and uh, my, my teacher, John's like, hey, you know, let's, let's, let's hook up with Chris. I'm like, all right. Score! Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so we were talking, and, and you know, Chris was talking about like, how he loves playing, you know, just, he loves playing trumpet, and you know, he, how he played Bob, you know, he, he worked, you know, he, he did some stuff with Woody Shaw, I guess, you know, studied with Woody right. for a little yeah. bit of time, yeah. stuff Absolutely. like that. And, yeah. and, you know, and I was like, yeah, and I started, you know, really listening to his solos sometimes, and when he starts going out, it's like, oh. yeah, that's Woody. Yeah, oh, I can yeah. hear Woody's oh, influence yeah, absolutely. there. Sure. Yeah, but uh, you know, but people can't get past the you know that yeah, the, the, the smooth jazz. Yeah, the smooth well, yeah. jazz. Whether they would be lay people or lay trumpet players, yeah. they're still just or, focused or lame on the trumpet players. Or lame yeah. trumpet. Oh, this one. Yeah, tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. Chris yeah. for sure. But how, but Jay, I mean, you you're another one of those guys who just kind of does it all. I mean. You're Unless it involves tra- transposing. Uh, yeah. Tra- <laughs> trans- transposing, I'm like Miles Davis. Like, you know, this hey, is Jay. why we're really a power couple. Hey, Jay, uh, you know, if, 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 uh, if your tr- trumpet's in B-flat and this is in, uh, in A, where does that put your horn? And I always go, I, I quote Miles Davis, in the case, man. <laughs> yeah. That's what he like, calls me, and he's like, babe, um, so I'm on this orchestral gig, and I just, I can't. I don't want to. Can you sub this, please? <laughs> sure. Yeah, but, you know, when it's like Mozart... Uh, uh, or what was the thing that you did up in in Perth Amboy? Your uh, uh, Bach Consortium. Oh, the Bach Consortium. That's yeah. not Perth Amboy. That's um, uh, yeah, St. Catharines. I, I I won't. I don't take those gigs. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not. It's just. It's just not what I do. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, dude yeah. was playing piccolo trumpet stuff on a B flat trumpet for like the last what ten years until yeah, I came around. and was like, why are you making get, your life so hard? Because I could get away with it. Because I didn't need a pick. I yeah, but like you didn't actually two, three sound times, like a piccolo trumpet, know, which is why year. you play yeah. piccolo trumpet. You play it because I, it sounds like a piccolo trumpet. You sound like a lead player who's pinching it off. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I play different styles in, in many different genres because you have to. In order to be successful and to, be in, and to make trumpet a career. I don't think there's any such thing I as mean, a successful one-trick pony anymore. There are some that are there, surviving. There's exceptions, but, sure. Because there was a time when you could be a one-trick pony. Yeah. But I think now, especially if you're a younger person than us, you definitely have to be a multifaceted musician, Absolutely. entrepreneur, educator. Yeah. And I mean, you just you. I mean, my background is I I studied. I eventually took private lessons when I got to high school, and um, um, Al Muselli was my very was my first teacher, and his first teacher was this guy Bill Teubner, who was a direct was a descendant of Maurice André. Mm-hmm. Bill studied with Maurice over in in Paris Conservatory, and um, so I have that classical background. But then I, as I got into college, uh, you know, I find myself being drawn more towards the commercial side of things and then I always grew up listening to Doc Severinsen and, and when I got to the university I was like, oh my God, a real big band. Are you kidding me? And a chance to play like Harry James. Right. So, you know, I walked into this rehearsal and I just started, you know, uh, basically pl- sounding and pl- trying to play like Harry James and Doc and, and, and the, everybody at the university is like, oh my God, who's this kid? And so I really fell in love with, with that style of playing and then... Uh, and I, I transferred like twice. I started off at Wilkes University, then I went to Trenton State College, and then ended up going to the University of the Arts in Philly. But every time it was like I evolved from 
you know, strictly classical, thinking that I was going to get an orchestra gig. Yeah. <laughs> which you yeah. did eventually get. Which I did eventually get. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough. It, it took 25 um, years, but yeah. you got there. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, and then I, I, so I went from there to, you know, big band jazz to, to, small, group to small group for a while. And, and, and I met George Rabbi and studied with George. And, we love and you, then, George. And then I, then I studied well, with John too. Swana for, for, for a year. Another you know. one? And um, and then through George, I, I I got to meet Roger Ingram, where I studied with him for about a year when he lived in New York, and and a bunch of other guys. Uh, Steve Reed was another uh, great lead player. He was yeah. with the Ellington Band yeah. when yeah. Mercer was running it, playing uh-huh. the Cat Anderson book. So, right. you know, and so all these different people had all these different had in different influences on me, and so I found myself at not at, at the time not realizing that I'm learning all these different styles of playing, and then being able to actually do it. Yeah, and um, so then you know, most recently I, I found myself uh, playing with Queen Latifah, uh, Corey Wong. Uh, I've been on tour for ten years with with the original cast of Jersey Boys, so you know, playing like rock stuff, and then freelancing around Philly and doing, you know, the club date scene. Uh, most recently, subbing on Broadway, and then the most recent thing was like <laughs> what Lexi was joking about. It was was I got called to play with the National Symphony Orchestra. And it awesome. wasn't just one concert. Whether it was there for a week, I did two concerts with them, and then they asked me to come back uh, four weeks later to do um, the Nutcracker, Jeff Tyzik's arrangement. And yeah. you know, so it's like being able to, I guess, be uh, a chameleon or or and adapt to different situations. Um, you have to do that in in this day and age. You have to be able to play some lead. You have to be able to play jazz. You have to be able to sit in an orchestra. And you know, I was playing. I played fourth trumpet on a couple tunes, and yeah. then I got. Then we switched chairs, and now I'm playing lead and all the solos in the Nutcracker. It's like you got to flip a switch, you know, almost instantly. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that, and that's. I think that's that's a lost art or an undiscovered art. I, I guess I should say with a lot of people where it's, it takes a different mindset. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's all between your and, and it's, and it's, 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 it's your ability. I mean, because I, this is the kind of stuff that. That I would do myself is, mm-hmm. uh, and even just in my life in general, I've got so many different things that I do, and there's a core that underlies everything, mm-hmm. right? And that that's always going to be there, but it's every situation is going to require a different facet to come out, yeah. And it's your ability to do that as seamlessly as possible that right. I think is, is what spells success for people. Mm-hmm. You know, where where you don't have to to uh, spend months trying to get your head together because you got a legit date as opposed to you know doing your jazz stuff. You mm-hmm. know, you could like you know any guy anybody who's a, a decent session player has got to be able to do that because you don't know what your next you gig is. Going, gonna, yeah, you never know what you're what you're going to get called for. Yeah, you know, hey, I got you got this session. Uh, you know, it's it's this day and at, at this time. You know, I, there's plenty of times where I've walked into those sessions not knowing anything, and I walk in and suddenly it's a hip hop gig and you're playing. You know, horn stuff over rap. Mm-hmm. You know, for a rap artist, and you're just, oh, okay, it's not what I expected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of it comes down to having the moxie to say yes in the first place, mm-hmm. and I think that's where a lot of young players get sort of stuck in the wings. Is they're like, oh, I don't want to say yes because I don't know if I'm going to mess it up. Oh, I don't want to say yes. I don't know. If I'm... It's like just say yes and figure and out the figure rest out. later. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's figure how it out you later. get it. That's like that's how you, how do it. you figure it and, out. You know? Well, you know, and it's funny, Lexi, because you you had said something earlier about. You know the pressure that you feel on you as um, as a woman in what is predominantly and historically a, a man's world. Mm-hmm. The, the especially the lead trumpet thing is that that's yep. like 
that, that is testosterone city. It is. You know, I, I sometimes feel like you know you should you should uh, you know you have to have a, like a body hair quotient in order to to play lead. You know. You know, uh, I have breasticles, not <laughs> testicles. Like mine are attached to my chest, and some people just don't get that. And they're bigger um, than than the, and, you right? Know, exactly. You know, like, you know? So shush, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, well, yeah, don't even get me started on some of that. Right. Um, but but you know, it's it's the we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And sometimes it's a good thing. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that you grow through pressure, mm -hmm. through adversity. If you don't do something that you can't already do, then you're not going to improve. Absolutely. So, uh, but there's the dark side of that, which is when we become so concerned and so obsessed and, uh, with conforming to a level of perfection mm -hmm. or... Uh, standards, perceived, per, yeah, per, perceived standards that, that people have, have established for us, whether it be you've got to nail every note 100% of the time, mm -hmm. you know, which is, you know, that, that works in the studio because you've got you have to. 35 tapes yeah. that you can right. work with. Yeah. You know, so it takes a little pressure off knowing that you can mm -hmm. do it, but people, when they take that studio thing to the live thing, I think sometimes get themselves so worked into a tizzy. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there's, I mean, there's... we could be here all day if we're going to talk about trumpet players who are head cases who have made themselves that way. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, like, but, yeah, but, that, but, yeah but, that, but, that's, but that's the point. No, it's totally the point. Is that, you know, how do you walk that fine line between pushing yourself towards uh, the standard mm -hmm. and not driving yourself crazy trying to live up to a standard that really doesn't exist? Yeah. You, um, there's a podcast I saw in your listing from your other um, platform, the Kung Fu. What was it? The Kung Fu Equation. Yeah, Kung Fu Equation. Um, and the the title was "You Have to Find Your Why," and that applies to a lot of different things. But I think in terms of what we're speaking of now, I think um, at least for me, anyway, I can't speak for anybody else. But um, in terms of perceived perfection and like self pressure for perfection. Um, and it took me a really, really long time to get to this point. But I think maybe everybody has a different place in their life where this happens. And I actually recently just told a student this um, regarding his own improvising. He was just like his own worst critic, and he wasn't really speaking the language very well. And I said, well, you know, improvising is an expression of emotion. It's an expression of freedom, and it's what you have in your mind. It's, it's your music. Um, but, you know, Bebop was born of... Um, conflict you know it was, it was a big right. it was a big finger to the polite crowd right and so instead of finding your why in terms of you know your own self-pressure and, and the perceived perfection to which we hold ourselves sometimes you just have to find your inner fu yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and once you find that place where you can be like okay i chipped that whatever you go on to the next thing and you don't get stuck in your head about it. I used to get sucked into my mind for days or weeks about one chip note on a big band gig. I would obsess over it and be like, it's never going to happen again. And I was just getting crazy psycho about it. But after, you know, years and years and years of playing big, big band gigs and years and years and years of playing with, you know, great people, less than great people, everybody in between, you just kind of find that place where you're like, meh. It wasn't perfect, but it was pretty darn good, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. You just got to find your inner fu. <laughs> you, you can, yeah, well, you you have F to. It. I mean, it's kind of cliche, but you have to learn to laugh at yourself. You do. I mean, I, there I don't play gigs perfectly. I I strive for that yeah. and I go for it, but I mean, I to this day, I'm pretty sure I've never played a perfect show. 
I've One come of my close. favorite things to watch is when he doesn't play a perfect show. And it sounds really, it sounds really narcissistic because, yay, trumpet player. But no, it's really cute because he'll do these live streams with his iPad on stage and he'll be playing a show that he's played how many thousands of times? Like literally? Uh, that show is over a thousand concerts. Yeah. yeah. Like literally over yeah. a thousand times. And he'll gack the crap out of something. And he does this thing where he has the horn in one hand and he laughs to himself off the microphone. He's like, ah! And he just sort of does that. And it's so cute and fun. And you just, you get this idea that it ain't ain't so bad. It's not that serious, man. (laughs) Like, trumpet is, it's... Should be fun! It's demanding. It's physically demanding. Like, you know, we were saying it's one of the most physically demanding, if not the most physically demanding instrument out there. Um... But it still should be fun, and you're gonna make mistakes, yeah. and you gotta laugh at yourself because most of the time it's just it's it's like a brain fart, you know. It's something yeah. that you've done a thousand times, <laughs> and you and, and we preach to the students, hey, you know, do it this way because you know you won't you if you make a mistake, you, you play, play like you practice, you know. Blah, 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 blah. And then you get out there and you do it, and you go, ah, screw it. Yeah. <laughs> so I gacked it. Well, or oh, yeah. I airballed a double A. Whoops! I'll get the, I'll get the next fifty in a row. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Like, no one's perfect. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, you you watch videos of. of of Maynard and Doc, and even Doc talks about mistakes that you know he's made. He's like, oh yeah, I airballed the thing, and then I I, I changed mouthpieces. You know, yeah. it's yeah. like, ah, it's fine, whatever. Yeah. You're everyone's gonna make a mistake. Yeah, we're only human. The thing is, is like, and I think Alan Vizzuti, um, I don't remember if it's in one of his uh, in one of his books, but he mentioned about like, you know, you make a mistake and you got to move on. You can't you can't sit there and think about that one crack note mm-hmm. that you did. The entire time that you're playing con- the rest of the concerto or whatever it may be, because yeah. you're going to get in your head and then you're going to gack the next note mm-hmm. and you're going to make another mistake. Then that becomes a problem. Yeah. You yeah. can't go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Nope. Well, that's what I used to tell my martial arts students a lot is that when you have like a, if you, you have a balance issue, like you, 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 people fall over, things like that, I, I would say nine times out of 10, the reason you had that problem wasn't that particular movement that you're doing. Right. It was because you did something a little bit wrong before, and your mind you're just still stuck. thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. And then it, it's just this this uh, effect, this domino effect, and yeah. then eventually it reaches a point where just the whole thing just collapses on itself. Uh, yep. So, and I remember like when I was a kid, uh, yeah, I was a huge Maynard Ferguson fan, like probably every trumpet player <laughs> in the world. Bless you. Thank you. Um, and uh, he used to have this little newsletter that was sent out. Yeah, I'm I'm an old guy. So they actually still had mail. Uh, <laughs> so, but, and I, I used to love it. It was, it was called Fan Addicts for Ferguson. Right? Oh, my God. Wonderful. That's awesome. They, they little yellow, like little yellow brochure sort of size thing, and they come in. And I remember this little uh, statement that Maynard made in it about, this is you know, back in the 70s. So this is when uh, Reggie Jackson was probably the best baseball player in okay. the world, right? Mr. October. Mm. Um, and um, he was talking about, Reggie and saying, you know, hey, this guy is the best hitter in the league, and you know, he bats about 300, you know, which means, you know, every 10 times he gets up, three are, you know, three are hits, mm-hmm. yeah. seven are misses, and he's getting paid all of this money mm-hmm. that if you're a trumpet player, don't be afraid to go for that note. You know, don't, don't be afraid because you probably have more like a 50-50 chance of hitting it, maybe 60, 70, 80% chance of hitting it. Right. So if somebody could be on that level of national prominence with only a 30% chance of, oh, yeah. of, of hitting it, 
you know, don't freak yourself out. Yeah. Yep. And that was kind of like a really, you know, mind-opening thing. But, you know, then, of course, I then I get sucked back into the, you know, oh, you're a little flat on that, Johnson. And, oh, you, you, you cuffed that. And, and, ah. and so you, you doinked that one. Yeah, I doinked that one. I know. It's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, you know, trying to balance that and, and the having the balance between having a healthy ego, which I think you need, mm -hmm. especially oh, if, if yeah. you're a lead player or, or oh, you a You have to you have the guts anything. to do it in the first yeah, place. You, you yeah, got, you got to have, you got to have yeah. a set yeah. of, of whatever calls yep. <laughs> on you yeah. to do it. But it's like, how do you balance that, that confidence with not becoming overconfident? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, here's a really like sick thing. Since we're speaking of ego, and we're we're thinking about you were just talking about those external voices, those cats in the section, or the cats in the band. They're like, "Oh, you're a little flat. Oh, yeah, chip that." Blah blah blah. There are people that will do that out loud to me on gigs because I'm a girl. Right. I could nail. I could play. I could play a nearly no perfect show, and there will still be some jackass in the section or in the band be like, "Oh yeah, I heard that chip in the blah 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 blah." Really? You're gonna say that to me? You probably wouldn't say that to a dude. Just saying. Like, and I'm not saying that it's every gig. And mm -hmm. nowadays it seems like it's less frequent, thank goodness. We're making progress, dudes. We're making progress. Yeah, yeah. But like when it does happen, it's just like it's either one or one or a couple people that are just there as your external negative voice. Right. And then it magnifies the inner voice. Right. So you gotta have like for lack of better expression, your own chi has to be so freaking centered that you are unfuckwithable. Like, if there was anything that I ever learned from Sherry Miracle, like, I was on her band for a year and a half with some of the nastiest, most amazing musicians, regardless of their given gender, in the biz. That woman is unfuckwithable. There was no amount of gags. There was no amount of mistakes. There was no amount of reviews. There was no amount of externally non-musical crap that could screw with her game. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, I had a hard time on that gig because it was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I was subbing for Liesl Whitaker. We love you, Liesl, but that was really hard. Um, but like, oh, I mean, I took so much away from that gig, but like I said, one of the, one of the things that I just, I, that stuck with me so hard was how totally unfuckwithable that woman is. Because every single night she would come in and she would kill. And it didn't matter what the reviews were. And it didn't matter whether the house was full or if it was empty or what else was going on. She came in and killed. And I was just like, okay, I made a mental note. I'm like, I want to be that level of unfuckwithable. Like, that's, that's one of my new goals. And I eventually got there through met much messing up and much... <laughs> BS on other gigs. But, you know, that that level of just personal peace, like, okay, man, you can say whatever you want because you're going to because I'm a woman. Just knowing that. Mm -hmm. I expect that on gigs. Right. I don't go in trying to manifest that. God knows. But I, I know that it's likely to happen, especially if I'm playing lead. Like, especially if I'm in that chair where all the notes have to be, you know, the right length, the right time, the right style, like, way above the staff, out of nowhere, doesn't matter what it is, has to be perfect, quote-unquote. Right. 
I strive for that level of, I have my crap together. It doesn't matter what you say, Mr. Fourth Chair Trumpet Player, who actually is an accountant and doesn't really play trumpet for a living. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I don't care what you have to think. I'm going to play the crap out of this. Thank you very much. You know, yeah. um, that's, it's an added amount of anxiety and pressure that I think women have to deal with versus your average non-woman trumpet player for whatever gender that they express. But I mean, it, it's kind of a interesting thing because I think you can look back on music, and there's always, and, and I'm not, and I'm in no way belittling your situation, but we bring this a lot of times. It's it's the it's the mind game we play with ourselves. Oh, totally. Because um, you know, they're they're like the white guys mm. who oh, you can't play jazz. You know, right. you, you're oh, not yeah. black. How can you play? How can you play jazz? How can you play the blues? You you don't understand it. Yeah. You know, or, you know, you're a woman, you, you know, how can you, how can you be a lead trumpet player? You right. know, you got to be in large and in charge if right. you're going to be a lead trumpet player. Right. Or, you know, even for blacks, you know, there was a time when even though jazz is the music of the black culture, right. you know, it's like, well, no, you, you know. Well, conversely, I, I, in the in the classical world, yeah. I feel that, I mean, granted, I can't truly speak on the subject because I am not one of these people, but I have observed this, like, vibe toward people of color in the classical world. Yeah. People think that because you are a person of color that you can't play classical yeah. music. Why? Oh, yeah. Because you're somehow inferior as a musician? That's BS. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Is it Taga? Taga Larson? Oh, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong guy. Anyway... Uh, about five years ago, Cat won the principalship of the New York uh, Metropolitan Opera, and okay. he is a person of color. And I was like, hell yes, that is a huge win, because that is a very major position right. uh, yeah. in the trumpet world, yeah. but that is so awesome that a person of color won that position, because hell yes, it's about time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're still sort of waiting for that hell yes in the woman's world, but yeah. we're, we're super psyched for all of our minorities. <laughs> one, yes. one, one, of my, one of my least favorite comments is, so let's say um, I send Lexi on a gig. So I get called for a gig, and I and, oh, and then I, I love this and story. I, I know and, where this and, is going. <laughs> and I'll say, hey, "This is good. This is kind of, I mean, we definitely need to talk about this." Yeah, we do. Um, so I'll get called for a gig, and I'll say, "Oh, I'm not available, but my girlfriend is, and she's a great lead player." And they go, "Oh, your girlfriend?" It's like, "Yeah. Oh, she she can play like like lead. Yeah, she's great." And then I'll say, "You know, played with." Keith Urban, Adele, played lead in the Diva Jazz Orchestra. Great high chops. Oh, okay. And why are they hesitant about that? Because if I said, oh, I can't do it, but call this guy. It would be. It's a no-brainer. We actually considered. And then, then, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. But but here's here's the punchline. Because then she'll do the gig. And then I'll get a call. This happens or, without fail. Or, this is a hundred percent. I'll say, "Hey, how'd everything? You know, how everything work out?" And they'll go, "This is my favorite," and I quote, "She, she plays like a dude. She plays like a man." I'm like, <laughs> "Oh my god, really? Is that is that what we're doing here?" Every yeah. single you can't, time. You can't just say, "Man, she sounded great. She's killer. Man, you yeah. were right. She sounded great. Okay, awesome, cool." Or, or she sounded great, man. I'll I'll call her again. That's great. No, it's she plays like a man. She plays like a man. I don't. I don't. She yeah. she just plays. She plays like a trumpet player. Right. You know, and and 
Of course, I did. before we started dating, I didn't think about these things. But now that, you know, I mean, I did think about it, but not... But not so actively. Not yeah. so actively right, right. now, because now I'm, I'm in it. I'm involved in it. And I just think how much BS it is when I get that phone call. Or yeah. I get that... Yeah. Somebody says that to me. I'm like, where, you, where, where are you coming? You're saying this out loud to me. Why would you say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's what... That's what people think. Yeah. That, that's about 95% of the time, too. So, like, it's not like, oh, every now and again that happens. Like, almost every single gig he's ever sent me on has yeah, resulted in a phone call or a text more, message or an email. There's, <laughs> there's a, always wow, a she plays with balls. Yeah. There's, okay, there's great. Certainly, there's certainly a hesitation <laughs> yeah. without that. Yeah. 98%. You know, I'll, I'll have to say, you he know. He has to list oh, my she, credentials. Right. Yeah. They can't just take my word yeah. for it. Because when I say my girlfriend, yeah. trumpet, they automatically think, oh, she can't be that good right. because she's a woman. We actually thought about doing a social experiment because my name is Alexandra. Right. To, to have him reply to those and just say, oh, yeah, uh, get Alex. Or, or just Lex. Well, I mean, yeah. this is Lex, kind of yeah. a really name. Like, how many guys do you know that are named Lex? Loser. I mean, other yeah. than Steele. Lex, Lex Luthor. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a big one. So. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. We thought about yeah. doing that just yeah. to see, just well, to see yeah, what that, the pushback that, would be, that would if be, there would be any. Yeah, that would be interesting. That would be know. interesting. And, uh, but the fact yeah. that we even have to consider that is, is part of the BS. Like, that's part of the reason we're recording this. Like, yeah. people, get over it. Girls play trumpet. They do it really well. <laughs> well, and, and, and it's great because... Um, you know, you are, that's one of the things, like when I, when I first met Lexi, um, as I'm sure you can attest to from your own personal experience, <laughs> uh, she is not one to mince words. No. <laughs> no. Uh, she is a trumpet player. Yeah. That, like, she fits all the stereotypes. Yeah. Except that I don't Except, have something wiggly-waggly. That's right. She's... <laughs> She's a she, but she is a stereotypical lead trumpet player. I totally, like, even though I try really hard not to be that jerk on a gig, if I have to be that jerk on a gig, I will be that jerk on a gig. (laughs) It's off on four! Like, I will do that if I have to. But, like, as a woman, I can't until it's, like, this is a great example of of the, the line which I have to toe as a woman, like, you're on a gig, you're on a big band gig, third trumpet player is consistently cutting off on one when the whole section's cutting off on four. You guys would probably say after the second time they fuck it up, off on four. Easy. Fine. <laughs> um, and, the, and the third trumpet player would be like, oh, oh yeah, sorry, sorry. I have to wait until like the fourth or fifth time. Otherwise, I'm crazy and hard to work with. Well... That might the be band true, leader, but no, no, the, that that's the way I'm perceived. Yeah, I know. It doesn't matter I, what it yeah. is or yeah. what it isn't. Right. It's the way I'm perceived. See, exactly. Yeah. And it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, absolutely. Like, but it it's still my job. Yeah. Like, it's still my job to make sure that it's off on four. If it's yeah. off on four, regardless of what's between my legs or what isn't between yeah. my legs. Well, much much like in corporate America, even you know. If oh, you, don't if even you're, me. Yeah. <laughs> if, oh yeah. If, if, if you're if you're hard. You know, as a guy, then you're you know you're just tough. You're a you're a leader. Yeah. You know, if you're a woman, you're a bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's, I don't. I embrace the term. Call me a bitch. I don't care if I get the job. Trumpet I get bitch. The job done. We call you trumpet bitch. Yeah. 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 yeah but that is a bad connotation oh, okay. because that means I'm like your trumpet. I'm sorry. Bitch. I take it back. You know well, what I mean? No, that's not what I mean. Well, but see, <laughs> maybe that's, on weekends. That's, no, that's the that's the example. That's the yeah. connotation. Yeah. Like yeah. I would. I mean, I would love to embrace the term and be a trumpet bitch. Yeah. You know. Um, biatch. But, biatch. Biatch. That would make it better. Uh, maybe I guess. Yeah. But Extra that's, syllables. That's, that's the point. 
point, though, is like a trumpet bitch, you think of somebody on a leash. Yeah. I am on no one's leash, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's really the root of why we're here today. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah. we need to change this somehow. And I'm grateful that you guys are talking about this because when men stand up to other men, other men's behaviors change. When yeah. women stand up to men, they laugh at us or call us crazy or call us unhinged or emotional or find some way to not acknowledge that their behavior is inappropriate. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I think, uh, like sports and music can be the last bastion of uh, totally. chauvinism. Oh, yeah. Oh, and man, it, for sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure, I mean, sure. yeah, it, but it, it would be like, uh, it wouldn't be as bad, but, you know, it's like the guy who, who plays flute or plays oboe. But even you know? that's more. But, I mean, but even that's more acceptable. Even that yeah. more. Yeah. Even yeah. that is more yeah. acceptable. Yeah, it's much more acceptable, and and, it, and it's so it it's funny, not in a uh, hilarious, humorous kind of no, way, but just it's it like in it's, a yeah, like socially interesting. I actually yeah. wrote a paper. My first master's thesis was on um, machismo and uh, gender stereotypes in glam rock and roll. And after having, you know, looked at people like Annie Lennox and David Bowie and mm -hmm. all of our very, very famous gender benders over the mm -hmm. last, you know, 50 years or so, um, the conclusion, while I was trying to, <laughs> I had originally set out the paper to go, look at all these super awesome women doing awesome things. The actual conclusion after having researched why these artists were revered was actually that uh, the men were revered with greater reverence. Oh, that was so uh, oh, revered was with so purple. Word. Sorry, the men were revered with so much greater energy and so much more positivity uh, than the women because the men were choosing to portray themselves as women. Like, look at how macho they must be to go on stage in makeup. Not look at how awesome that woman is because she's wearing a leather jacket and she's punching people out in music videos. Like, it was totally the opposite thesis of what I had set out to say uh -huh. because the evidence was to the contrary. People respect Bowie more than they respect Annie Lennox um, because Bowie gender bent toward, you know, feminine things, you know, oh, like I'm not actually a man, I'm an alien. Um, hmm. Whereas Annie Lennox is like, no, I'm a butch ass bitch, look at me go, I'm gonna sing this fucking kick ass rock tune. And people are like, okay, great. Yeah. But then Bowie is worshiped. Same thing. It's because the men deigned to allow themselves to be female. Mm -hmm. They were so macho that they could allow themselves to be female that that's actually perceived as more gutsy than women who are trying to be macho yeah. themselves. Yeah. Well, that's it's messed up. <laughs> that's an interesting, interesting insight on that. Um, I've so, done the research. Yeah, yeah, I've done the research. <laughs> She's smart. I'm smart. <laughs> So let me let me let me ask you. Uh, let, let's let's switch gears for a sure. second. Not that that that's you know we could probably go on for for ages oh on this. I can we send might you the paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah actually, uh, what we'll do is we'll we'll put a link up for that. <laughs> so if you got a paper, yeah, let, let's do that. If anybody's interested, you can reach out to Lexi obviously on <laughs> social media. Uh, I think it's Trumpet Bitch on Instagram. <laughs> no, uh, Biatch. Just Trumpet oh, Biatch. Excuse me. Oh. Biatch. Biatch. Um. So. <laughs> Um, what do you think, uh, for, for each, I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, if you're able to go back in time, oh, oh boy, way back, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and give yourself, your younger self, one piece of advice based on, you know, what you've learned so far over your careers, what would that, that piece of advice be? I wrote a whole book on this, actually. <laughs> 
<laughs> you wrote a whole book on this? Yeah. It's called What Now? Okay. Um, it's available at lulupress.com. It's self-published. I can give you the link so you can Absolutely. send it to your membership. Absolutely. Um, so it was actually born of me asking myself that very, that very same question. I was hired to give master classes and guest teach in Michigan at some of the schools where I was once a teacher uh, in the district where I functioned as a band director. Uh, and I thought to myself, okay, well, if I was in these students' shoes, what would I want to hear from someone like me? So it's a similar question, you know, what mm -hmm. would I tell myself back then? And I sat down with a glass of wine, not unlike what we're doing here, and about three hours later, looked up and had 38 pages of one-liners, and that was less than helpful. Um, <laughs> but it did turn into a really funny book. Um, there's lots of little nuggets in there, you know, uh, things like if you're early or on time, you're on time, you're late, that kind of jive that seems jive to us, but is really, really important when you're young. It's not that shy. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, how far back are we going? I think for myself, outside of what I already put in that book, if I could go back and tell myself that was sitting in, in a 8 by 8 cement block room at, at the Interlochen Arts Academy, um, I would tell myself to go listen more. Because I didn't, I didn't have access to a lot of stuff as a kid because we grew up really, really poor. But I think if I could go back in a time machine and go back to like 13-year-old Lexi and be like, dude, go borrow someone's CD player and play with Abersaltz. <laughs> if I could go back and do that, uh, I totally would. I would go back and listen to way more Miles Davis and way more Charlie Parker and, and way more, you know, Maurice Andre and, and all of our, our great classical trumpet players. Just listening more would have helped me so much in coming back to a master's degree after three years of band directing. I would have hit the ground running a lot faster uh, than trying to play catch up when right. I got there. Okay. What about you, Jay? Ooh, well, I mean, I guess if I were to go back to the same time period as Lexi... Um, I guess as as a high no, I would say as an as as a fourth grader in band. Do you want to go back that far? Let's go back that far. Let's go back that far. Um, I would have I would have spent more time learning to read music, and and had I known about private lessons at that time, I would have gotten into private lessons earlier. Now, that's say, saying me, but my parents, you know, I would encourage my parents to get me into private lessons because um, I didn't actually learn how to read music until I was mm, probably my freshman year of college. I got mm -hmm. through Allstate and being principal, the wind ensemble on Allstate and all this stuff and all these accolades because I had ears. Uh-huh. And I practiced my butt off, and I was really good at playing the trumpet. And my sight reading was awful. Right. And so if I could go back in time and tell myself or other students, I would say, if you're enjoying your musical experience and your instrument, get into private lessons and, and learn the, the fundamentals and the foundations of music, learning how to read maybe piano lessons, um, that's the one thing I do regret is not taking piano lessons as a young kid. Yeah. I think that would have really helped me, um, just musicianship wise. Yeah. 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 And my dad tried to make me take piano lessons. I did them for a short period of time and then, you know, blew it off. And I just, that's the one thing, one of the things I look back and go, 
oh my man, God, I'm, if I had just done that, I'm, life would have been so much easier. Yeah, I mean, it just, it, it, it would be so useful now. I mean, there, there's so many instances that, I, that I've been in where I'm like, you know, in a rehearsal with a horn section and I go, oh, I, I, if I could just play through this, like a, a rock tune. Yeah. But I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I play piano much like I type. <laughs> yeah, that, oh, that's uh, I can relate to that. Yeah, I, I, a, I, can lay down, I can lay down some fat pads. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a funny piano story, actually. So um, not that it's particularly relevant to that specific question, but it's related to what you were just saying. Um, in hindsight, I really wish I had played more piano. Um, but hindsight got the best of me uh, when I entered doctoral school, and I, I was super excited. I got into Indiana. No one saw that coming, including myself. I was like, oh, my God, I got in. Um, and so I'm like, woo, I got in. Look at me go. And they're like, ah, there is a piano proficiency to get in. <coughs> uh, excuse me, what? <laughs> I have to do what? And the piano proficiency for Indiana is like three pages long on a website, and there are like – Almost, I think there are 47 categories of things that you have to do, and each area, like brass or strings or piano itself, picks a litany of you know five or six things that you have to do to pass their proficiency uh, to get into your program. And so I was, <laughs> the summer before I got, I mean, so I did my audition, and then summer of, like the summer before the fall where I enrolled, uh, I was like, okay, so I have to learn this piano thing. Awesome, and I bought myself a really cheap, dumb keyboard that was 88 keys, but it was cheap, <laughs> and I got it, and I was like, yeah. Um, I had to play all my major scales, four octaves. Play all my major, or sorry, all my majors, all my minors, four octaves, length of the piano, both hands. Arpeggios, same thing. Had to be able to sight read an accompaniment to a wind piece of some kind, just something simple, then transpose that at an interval that the piano prof would give me. This is this is this why is the I do entry not have exam. a doctorate <laughs> or a master's degree. I was just That's like, oh, why. I don't play piano. And to, I mean, to preface all of this, I just finished a master's in uh, jazz performance and pedagogy. You want to talk about pads, baby? Oh yeah! If they had asked me to come in and like comp, you, you know, it's that funny fine. is that is that when she was finishing up her coursework for her doctorate. She were taking was it, was I was it taking classical piano, classical piano, and she would send me videos of her like playing through it, and it didn't. Ha it could be at any it's tempo, so and it, and and I would I would say it sounds great because for me it's like I can't even <laughs> close to that. I so feel I'm so sure at that tempo, <laughs> if that'll pass at that tempo, you are good. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting outside. Like this is day three. Like I had already finished two written exams and an oral exam at Indiana. This is like day three of like your first week of orientation and all that fancy stuff they make you do. And I'm sitting outside the piano proficiency room. And I've never been a particularly religious person, but I'm praying to any god that will listen to me. <laughs> anyone, including, anyone up take there? Take piano lessons, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Zool. Like, Zool. So I'm sitting there, and I'm outside, I'm outside the room with another non-piano doctoral student with whom I became good friends. And um, he was doing the same thing. He's just like, I don't play piano. I'm like, I don't play piano either. And he was like, uh, we're both commiserating. And um, so the prof calls me in, and I am sweating bullets. Like, I am about to shit kittens. Meow. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Doink. Um, <laughs> and so I sit down at the piano and I'm just like, well, it's going to be what it's going to be. And my father was a pianist, like an amazing, like legit concert pianist, loved to play ragtime. That was as close to jazz as he ever got. But he was a really brilliant classical pianist. And he died when I was 10. 
And I think someone, being him, uh, heard me outside the room going, I need help. This is going to be a train wreck unless I get some help. And so I think, I honestly think in, in retrospect that I sat down on the piano and my dad temporarily possessed my body because for that one 30 minute span of my life, I could play all of my majors and minors, both hands, four octaves. I could play all of the arpeggios. I could play, I could sight read an accompaniment, both hands in six, eight time. Right? And then yeah. transposed it to two no, different thanks. interval, like <laughs> yeah. two different pitch levels at the whim of the per, like the professor. And he hands me my paper. He says, oh, you passed. And I said, excuse me? He's like, what? You want, don't want this paper? I'm like, yes, give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I really think that like that was like the one time in my life that my dad was just kind of like, oh, hey, you need some help? Cool. There you go. Got your back. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. (laughs) Like, if you asked me to do any of that, it would be a wash. (laughs) But, you know, such is life. (laughs) Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap things up here. Oh, okay. There's still more wine. I know there's still more wine. Not much. much. Okay. So, what we're going to do, do you guys remember the Nagel Speed Studies? No. You ever do that book? Nope. Oh, man. Sorry. Sorry, bro. Oh, okay. Well, it was a, it, the book was popular when I was when I was a youngin. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was just basically book exercises. They were they were they were finger busters. You yeah. Know, just oh, all okay. kinds of bizarre, you know, fingering combinations yeah. and things like that. Alan Pizzuti has finger flexibilities Dude. like that now, and they will drive you nuts. But I oh, yeah. memorized new flexibilities book. Can oh, you check well, that yeah, out? Bro, yeah. I use those with my students, and they love to yeah. hate it, just like me. <laughs> all right, well, I'm going to do my own version of speed studies. Oh, all right. Gonna, this is going to be rapid fire round. Oh, oh boy, ooh. rapid fire round. Rapid fire round. It's Surprise. a good thing we're doing this together, honey. I know. Okay. Woo. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fire off a question. Want an answer. Okay. Quick. <laughs> Quick, quick. Okay. Concise. We've had so too start- much wine to be concise. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> All right. Starting with Lexi. Who is your favorite artist that is not a musician? Artist that is not a musician? As in non-musical art of any kind? Yes. Uh, probably my great uncle Zwicky. He is a ceramic artist, and I have several pieces of his artwork in my house. All right. Very good. All right. Jay, what's your favorite guilty pleasure? Oh, I want to hear this answer. Favorite guilty pleasure? I don't. I don't know that I have one really. Yes, you do. Do I? Yes, What's you my do. Favorite guilty pleasure? Roller coasters. That's true. <laughs> ah. Although I have to make sure the drama means in my system before <laughs> okay, I roll. Very good. Very oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Moving back over to Miss Lexi. Uh, what's your beverage of choice? Bourbon. Oh, very good. Mine too. Uh, let's move back over to Jay. With or without whiz. Oh, that's a good one. With, with, with. It's just okay. easier. It's just easier. <laughs> that's what she said. For for those of you who don't uh, f- uh, go to the Philly area, with, 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 Lexi, um, your uh, favorite non-musical activity? CrossFit. Awesome. Okay, Jay. That's going back to you. Um, how about this one? Baseball or football? Ooh. Hockey. If I had to pick? <laughs> yeah. Football. Football. Okay. Yeah. And then really? part, two, part, two of, part two of the question, okay. Jets, Giants, or Eagles? 
Uh, well, I got to go with the hometown, so I got to say Eagles. Okay. I knew you, you e- had, Even though I grew up a Giants fan because I was from North Jersey. That, see, that's why I asked that yeah, question yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're from Jersey. Yeah, you so know, got to go with the Got to go with the, the thing. Home, okay. Home All right. And let's see. Let's go back to Lexi. What's your biggest pet peeve? Poor grammar. I can attest to that. <laughs> if I had an absolutely all-powerful Sharpie, I would correct all the signs everywhere. <laughs> she'd, waste, she'd waste it all on me. <gasps> yeah, me too. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like when I was in, you know, the standardized test that you take when you're in school, oh, I always scored like 98th, 99th percentile in vocabulary. But my, vocab- my, my grammar was like always like, <laughs> well, maybe poor not. Grammar. Second is poor syntax. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think just uh, more like kind of general. I, I just want to wrap it up with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I already asked about the one piece of advice you would, you would give yourself. But, you know, because both of you teach and you know, you're both basically inspiring a new generation of, of, uh, of trumpet players. Um, it's a two-part question. First one is, what is the most overrated facet of trumpet playing? Range. Hmm. Says the lead player. Like, really. As far as, I mean, I'll, I'll chat for a while while you think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I honestly think range is the most overrated aspect of trumpet playing as far as coming up in the trumpet world. Because if you think about the literature that we study, um, not much of it is written past a concert above the staff so if I mean classical or jazz I mean if you're playing big band charts and you're playing in a college you're not going to be seeing a lot of written E's and F sharps a lot of the time with very few exceptions like there are some arrangers that just like love to write that stuff but like as far as learning the instrument yes of course eventually you want to get there but if you're going to prioritize things I would put range somewhere around third I think flexibility and technical facility are probably paramount before range and honestly I could put range fourth under endurance you have to just go out and play and play and play and play and play and build that musculature build that tolerance to get you to a point where you can actually start working on that range. A lot of people do it the other way. They have no technical facility. They have no flexibility. Therefore, they're struggling for their range, and they're like, why do my chops hurt? Well, because you didn't actually do the work to get there. Range is, is like a magical like icing on the cake skill that you get after you do all the other work first, in my opinion. So, you know, you can do all the classical lit. You can do... A lot of like a lot of transcriptions. You can't do a ton of saxophone transcriptions, but you can do a lot of transcriptions without actually playing above the staff that much of the time. It's more about technical technical facility and flexibility and endurance before range. Well, I'd have to agree with the prof over here. <laughs> <laughs> He's not trained to say that. Uh, I'm not, but but, <laughs> but you know, um, for me, mm, I didn't really learn how to play high notes until I was in college. I got through high school in the first four four or so years of college uh, playing like a D above high C and, and E's, maybe an occasional F here and there. But I was n- never considered myself a, a, a lead player. And and I always you know looked up to those guys that I would see at the All-State conferences playing lead in the big band going, man, I, I don't know how those guys do that. Lead um, is more about style than notes. But but I think I think yeah the more important thing is 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 for me is tone. Mm. You know your your sound and, and and the quality of your sound the the the, the clarity of it um, and then technique 
Um, and and then I think, it, like you said, it, the icing on the cake for sure is 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 the upper register. And I think if you focus on the other things first, the upper register will then it'll build itself. It'll build itself, and then then with that also comes endurance, which we all know. You know, you have to have as as a live performer because you know you you're here. You are doing four hour gigs sometimes, and you're supposed to play exactly what's on the recording, which may or may not have been overdubbed one time, and then just hit repeat, 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 right. repeat. But here you're in a live situation; you have to play that, and it's expected. Totally, yeah. you're expected to play that. So, yeah, I, I would I would have to agree with her there. The only, the other thing that goes along with range is ear training. A lot of well, people. True. I mean, regardless of whether like what instrument they play, don't do a ton of ear training. Well, that's that's our second question. Oh, mm. the first one was overrated. Overrated. Yep. What's the most underrated aspect? The underrated or undervalued? Ear training. Aspect? Ear training. Yeah. Yeah. Says the man yeah. who learned everything by ear memory. Well, both, both intervallic and harmonic. I think. I think when people think of ear training, they often only think of intervallic ear training, like mm. single line ear training. I really, really think after having done two master's degrees and doctorate, um, if I could go back and do it again, I would have focused a lot more on harmonic ear training. Even though I did one of those degrees in jazz studies, which is mostly harmonic ear training, I could have used so much more. I mean, I can still use so much more, but you have to have a really solid basis in both harmonic and intervallic ear training to play this instrument well. I mean, you have to have that at a young age. Like, what's a fourth? What's a third? What's the difference? But then, you know, knowing which chord tone you land on or which one you're resolving to as a lead player and knowing how high or how low you need to play that note in order for it to be in tune is so important well, that, I, and underrated. I'm think. glad that you, like, you described it that way because some people think ear training uh, is more associated with being able to improvise, which, which is, is true, is. But, but also, like you said, being able to play uh, certain intervals um, and being able to hear that and recognize it as, oh, that's a tritone, you know. And if you can hear that in your head and you're playing that in the music, boom, it's just, it's automatic. It's right there. Well, and, and, and knowing the functionality, and, too. And that as well. But also, I think ear training, for me, it's helped, it happened naturally, but it definitely helped my, my improv skills where I can, I can hear things in my head and then I just play them. I think that's where a lot of people don't understand that there's a, a line between ear training in general and the ability to audiate. So to be able to hear a melody in your head and, and replicate it on an instrument or with your voice is a different skill related to ear training. Right. Ear training is where you start that skill. Audiation is where you hone that skill and make it an actual playable musical thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. For this time. has been so much fun. Oh, trust me. I mean, we could go on for hours. We right? really could. <laughs> it feels like, I mean, it literally feels like we've been talking for 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And I know it's been a lot longer than yeah, that. Yeah, a lot longer than that. <laughs> but, but, you know, that, that's the thing about a hang, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, think about all those hangs that, that, oh that I've been on, and, and you, you start them at uh, 9 o'clock or so after the last concert at a... Conference. At a conference, and then next thing you know, it's you know you're getting kicked out of the bar because <laughs> it's closing you, time. You end up in the hotel lobby, and somebody's going, "Hey, I can go across the street and get a six pack." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or, they, or they bring their own alcohol, and you start drinking in the lobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, that that's that's the Love way it works. So <laughs> I was thinking the same no, thing. Hey, 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 no shame here. No shame in your game. So uh, you know, thanks for hanging with me today. Yeah. And, thanks for having uh, us. Thanks for having for, us. Uh, 
the listeners out there, thanks for, for hanging with us. And if you have any questions for uh, Lexi or Jay, how can they find you, Lex? Uh, the Lady Trumpet Player or the Lady Trumpeter.com. Um, you can also email me at LexiSignor at gmail.com. And how about you, Jay? And my website is jwebjazz, just the letter J, jwebjazz.com. Um, also, my email is jwebjazz at gmail, but that's all spelled out, J-A-Y. And you guys are on social media? Oh, yeah. Social media, yep, at Instagram. Sigs with a Z. And yes. my Instagram is jwebtrumpet. Okay. There you go. Well, make sure you follow these folks because, uh, yeah, they, like I said, they're the power couple. <laughs> <laughs> Like that. Uh, J-, J and Bonance. J and Bonance. Bonance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I got started. That doing was so that. funny. <laughs> and I just say Going. it just when I'm thinking about it. Just, yeah, <laughs> Bonance. So, uh, anyway, again, uh, thanks, guys, for your time. And uh, so, everybody, peace and slide grease. <laughs> All right. We out. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, thank you so much for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings. And please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? Hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound, and I'll see you at the next hang.